Hey, I'm Andrew. I'm the student pastor here at Rockbrook. Uh, a few weeks ago, I took a couple of groups of teenagers to Garrison's River Resort, and which sounds great. It's a fun place. We don't really resort there, though. The, uh, this is the fifth year we have gone and worked at that camp. And last week, uh, Children's Ministry took a group of, of kids to Garrison's River Resort. There they are. Uh, they had an awesome time. My daughter got to go. I was really excited about that. It was her first year to be able to go. The, the children's ministry have been taking uh, kids there for years and years and years. And about five years ago, I thought, oh, you would, the little kids have gone there. When they were teenagers, it would be fun to take them as teenagers back to that camp and serve. Just kind of love that camp back because the camp is just really fun. They do such a great job, just even with our, our children's ministry. And it would be fun to just kind of love that camp back. And the teens have refinished decks and cabins and fixed tables and shelter houses. And we teach teenagers how to use tools, how to take something that looks old, worn out, broken, and bring it back to life. And it, Garrison's has been blown away. Like at first they were like, okay, you're going to have teenagers, you're going to have them take apart the whole deck and sand it all and then stain it and put it back together. Like, that's what we're going to do. Like, have at it. <laughs> and then we did it. And they were like, can you do this one? <laughs> uh, it has just been great. And they just give us... The, just uh, free reign there, and it works wonderful. In fact, uh, the garrisons, the owners are Don and Mary Jane. And Mary Jane came up to me last week we were there, and she said, your church is different. And they get, they get church groups in there all the time. I mean, it's a place where you can go canoeing. I mean, it's just kind of a, a, a canoe place, and they got horses and all, all kinds of things. You can cave and all, all sorts of stuff. But, uh, and, and there's often church groups there. But when we go, we work, and we love on them. She said, your church is different. You teach the kids how to genuinely love. She said, I, for years I have been impressed with your children's workers. When they would show up with the kids and teach and love them and encourage them. And then she started to get tears in her eyes. She said, and you bring them back as teenagers, and you teach them to do. She said, you teach them how to really love. This year, we refinished three cabins, and the guys did a great job. We also went through the whole book of Matthew, uh, the entire life of Christ, from the genealogy, his birth, the calling of his, his travels, to the calling of his disciples, his ministry and miracles, his death and resurrection. Went through the entire record of Matthew, word for word, and worked on these cabins. It was just, it was amazing. And I love when we would, would study the Word, when teens would look at me, sometimes with tears in their eyes, and, and would say, I forgot this was in here. Or they would look up at me, shocked, and say, have you read this? <laughs> Garrisons actually makes us do fun things at camp. We used to not do fun things. And last year, they, uh, we used to just work, work, work. And we had a good time, but we just worked. But uh, last year... Don, the owner, came up to me and said, hey, my, my dad used to say something. He used to say, you work hard, then you play hard. He said, Andrew, these teens work so hard, 
we need to make sure they play hard. So Garrison's takes care of that. You know, we have access to the horses and floating down the river and pool and all kinds of things. And uh, it, they just treat us to fun. And we work hard. But Trinity is a girl in our, in our student ministry. And we got done riding the horses as a group kind of at the end of the trip. And uh, she came up to me and she's beaming. She said, I can't tell you how excited I am. She said, I have had such a good time. This has been so much fun. And I love reading through Matthew. That's just been good. And we've worked so hard. And it's just so good to leave your mark on something. (laughs) And I thought, you know, as a student pastor, I was like, yes, she gets it. She gets it. Today we're talking about dynamic faith. And James is very practical. James helps us to figure out what is wrong, what we can do to get better. And when I found out, I was speaking to you guys this summer, and I was going to speak on James and speak on dynamic faith. To be honest with you, that's confusing to me. Faith is just confusing. Because people use the term faith all the time. Musicians, politicians, actors, celebrities talk about faith. Most of the time, I have no idea what their faith is in. But they sound so nice talking about it. So I googled faith just to see how it was defined. And uh, Google says, faith, the complete trust or confidence in someone or something. This restores one's faith in politicians. Huh? (laughs) Never mind, Google. Faith is a belief in something that has a corresponding action with it. James 2.14 What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Now, James is talking about a balance between faith and works. At my house, I have lots of kids learning to ride bikes. And we have lots of bike parts at our house because they're, oh my goodness, bikes these days. When I was growing up, I had a Huffy bike. It was heavy. It had steel mag tires. The thing was indestructible. That is not what we have today. I mean, just like, bink, ah, man. I mean, I, we get the bikes out. I get the air, the air in the tires, and I tell them, listen, don't squeeze the front brake so hard because your back brake's broken. <laughs> I told you not to squeeze your front brake so hard. Yeah. But I, growing up, I grew up in a time when I could ride my bike to school and back. I, could, I just had freedom to go. Do you remember that? Maybe you remember that, what it was like to just get on the bike and go. I mean, you, as long as you were back for supper, I could ride to Kansas and back. It was just, it was just freedom. And nowadays, the kids have helmets and padding, and, uh, you know, they can't... You you used to be able to ride your bike all over town. Now you see kids riding their bike, and they're just in the driveway. And the mom's out there on the steps yelling, Don't go on the street! Stay in the driveway! Then there's some adult, for no reason, who just yells, Careful! Careful! Because that's safety. I don't know. But when I rode my bike, there were three dangers. You could have a flat tire, which, and that was bad because then you'd have to push your bike home. That's horrible. The, the, the chain could slip off the sprocket. And if you, know, if you had a bike that had the, the pedals would spin backwards, you could you'd get it worked on. My bike, you had to wheel it backwards. 
while you worked on the, on the chain, you'd come home just greasy, sweaty. What happened to you? It was awesome. <laughs> Third danger was if a pedal broke. That was horrific because it's like it still works, but it doesn't. You know, you're there, pedal won't stay on. I could ride this one-footed. So you get that leg out because you don't want to get hit. And then you get this foot turned just right because you got to have balance. So you get up there and you pull it up and you work it and riding your bike. <laughs> Here's the illustration. The bicycle was never meant to be ridden one-footed. It's designed for balance. As one is pushing, the other is rising. That's the balance of faith and works. James sees Christians who are more faith-oriented or more works-oriented, and he sees these Christians. James is like, I got to do something about this. James describes three lifestyles of faith, three different expressions of what faith can look like and what the result of those faiths are. Now, two of these are out of balance, and they're negative. One of them is dynamic and positive. Before we jump into James, I want to read to you what was said to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Now, I bring this up because I know what it's like to be frustrated. And some of you are frustrated and you don't know why. Some of you ended up in a place where you don't want to be. I am hoping that you'll be able to see why you ended up there. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, I am in student ministry. Uh, I would not use the word test up here on stage in front of the students because that just, all of a sudden their eyes... Now, that's a bad word. Uh, Now, let me just ease your mind here. God is not looking to fail you. God isn't trying to make the test hard to pass. There are teachers who are very open about how difficult their tests are. This is not what God is doing. God is doing everything in his power to make it as easy as possible for us to be involved with this plan. He is trying to get us to realize the potential of our lives. So James gives us some examples. The first blank in your notes. Faith is dead. He gives an example that you have a dead faith. James 2.17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Gah. I mean, that's, that's some intense language. Now, remember that James wrote, My brothers. And these are Jewish believers. He's writing to Christians. Faith without leaving your mark on something, is empty. Remember, both pedals have got to be going. There are two expressions here, and I think you'll be able to see if your faith might be dead. It seems to be lip service and not lifestyle. Something we talk about, but we're not actually doing. I put uh, verse 15 up on the screen. It's not your notes. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? 
And a lot of us have let our faith be like, God bless you, eat right, just go on. That's all we do. Some of us have lip service, but not lifestyle. Some of us have leaves and no fruit. Some of you have been raised in the church long enough to recognize the humor in some of the Christian-y things that we try to do. Oh, it's that part in the song where we all raise our hands. So, I mean, we're raising our hands. And just, you know, the, there's the part in the song where it kind of smooths out and you do this little face wrinkle. I love watching you guys. I got the best seat over here. I'm up here. I get to watch the band. I'm having a good time. But, yeah, but I mean, for some of this stuff, you know, the oh, God bless you. Oh, God bless you. I mean, just like, we know how to do this. But here's the danger. If that stuff isn't on the inside, that outside stuff doesn't matter. Uh, reading through Matthew, Jesus cursed a fig tree. Jesus and the disciples were walking by a fig tree with gorgeous leaves. And, and they were hungry. And they start looking for some fruit to eat. And there was no fruit on it. And Jesus cursed that tree and it withered up and died. Some of us have leaves and no fruit. Now, maybe you remember this from the Bible. A good tree bears good. James warns us that faith without works is dead. Now, a lot of us think that our morality will change us and save us. It won't. A lot of us think that our religion will change us and save us. It won't. A lot of people think that, that traditional spirituality will change us and save us. It won't. The faith that James is warning us about is the faith that is dead. Second faith, this one's tougher to hear. It's a faith that is deceived. And, and he says something so drastic, I don't like it. Uh, verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Good. James is so encouraging. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Like, oh. I mean, there are no atheistic demons. A deceived faith recognizes the awesome power of God, but has no desire to do anything other than be who they are. We read in Matthew, and, and you may remember this, Jesus encounters two men, and they're demon-possessed. And the demons plead with Jesus, say, cast us into those pigs. There was an absolute fear of Jesus, of who Jesus was. And, and notice the absolute disgust of where they want to go. They want to go into pigs. So they're cast into these pigs, and the pigs run off a cliff. There is an awareness of who God is, but nothing changes. There's three signs that you may find in your life, if this is who you are. There's knowledge with no change. You know, I know who God is, but there's nothing I'm going to do different. Second, there is just no love for Jesus. And this isn't just a blank in your notes. Jesus did not die on the cross so that everything in your life would be all right. He died on the cross so that we could be in relationship with him. The Father loves you. He wants to play. He is doing everything he can to rescue you from being disconnected. A faith that is deceived produces a lack of love for him. My wife needs to know that I love her. She needs to know yesterday that I loved her. She needs to know tomorrow 
that I loved her. She needs a love that sustains. You know, 15 years ago, I was to say to her, I love you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) That does not sustain. The third one, there's rebellion with no repentance. This, this is a scary one. I mean, I have met people who are rebellious and they don't have a desire for repentance. Really, I mean, they're just faking because they want to look bolder than they are. But let me encourage you. If you are looking for these warning signs in your life, okay, you see, you know, rebellion with no repentance, that used to scare me. I was like, I do not want that. Am I doing that? Am I doing that? Am I rebelling? If you are asking the question, if you are asking these questions, that's not rebellious. If you were rebellious, you wouldn't be here. You'd be out rebelling. So that's good news. Celebrate that. Third kind of faith. Faith that is dynamic. A faith that finally, this one uses both pedals. You know, this this one's going to be fun. This is a faith that is living. It's active. It's producing. It's the kind of faith that helps us not feel frustrated. This one gets us places. James 2.22. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. James is talking about Abraham. The Bible is very clear that Abraham's justification came through his belief in God. But faith was made complete because of his expression when he was willing to sacrifice his son. If Abraham didn't have faith in God, he would have never taken him up that mountain. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. I love that. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. This one's powerful. We are people that in spite of consequence, in spite of the cost, we're going to do the work. Because my faith in God is dynamic. If you want a dynamic faith today, what do you have to do to get it? Because there are a lot of people at Rockbrook who are living a dynamic faith life. They are, they are working it. If you're not, what do you do to get out to do, have it? I don't like complicated. I like simple because I like stuff that works. So I got three things here, and I think these work. James 2, 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. If my life isn't different, I must be missing something on the inside. I think that many of us have had something amazing happen on the inside. How do we make sure that comes out? Number one, dynamic faith is a faith that steps out. Everyone is facing something in your life where you need to take the next step. Get that thing moving. Next step. We talk about next step all the time in our student ministry. You come to Second Sunday Student Service, next step, take the growth track. Next step, get into a small group. Next step, get on uh, serving in ministry on the dream team. Next step, next step, next step. We just work the process. Get these teens moving. 
get them out of frustration, free, uh, out of frustrated living. Just next step. In fact, on our trip, we uh, the teens we read about Peter. Remember Peter on the boat and he's going to walk on water. Peter's on the boat. There came a point where he has to take the next step out of the boat. That's his next step. It's scary sometimes to take the next step. It's intimidating. Sometimes it is unclear exactly what is going on. But we need to take the next step. I don't know what your next step is, but there's something, there's something you need to do just to keep moving. Dynamic faith speaks out. This is number two. James starts speaking about a lady named Rahab. And Rahab is a prostitute. James is talking about Abraham, father of Israel. Now he's talking about Rahab, and she's a Gentile. Rahab's actions made such a difference to the degree that in, at the beginning of Matthew, in the genealogy, we read that she is in the lineage of Jesus. James 2, verse 25. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? I want you to hear what Rahab said. Back in the Old Testament, Joshua 2, verse 9. I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a greater fear of you has fallen on us. Okay, this is Jericho. Remember the walls of Jericho? Rahab lived there. The whole city is against the Jews. Rahab speaks out and says, I'm with you. I'm with the Lord. I want to be a part of it. Some of you need to speak today. Some of you need to say for the first time, maybe for a long time, things are going to be all right. God's got this. Some of you have been living your life, Maybe you've been wrapped up in the news lately, and you just, I mean, you just got too much of that going on in your head, and you're like, Whoa, I got to do something. Maybe you need to speak and say, things are going to be all right. God's got this. And not that you're tricking yourself, tricking your mind. You are reminding yourself of the reality, of the promise. God's got this. I don't like it, but God's got this. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness just between you and Jesus. You know, don't go to someone and say, hey, 20 years ago, you called me, made me mad. Don't bring it up again. That's just, you know, open old wounds. You know, just between you and God, just forgive the person. Start treating them like a friend again. Some of us need to tell our kids, our parents, I love you. With no hooks attached, just, I love you. Some of you have a coworker that drives you nuts. You need to tell them that you appreciate them. What if I don't appreciate them? Appreciate them anyway. <laughs> that's biblical. I mean, that's what God says. He appreciates them. And don't say, at least God appreciates you. <laughs> next step, next step. Putting action to our faith. Towards the end of Matthew's writings, Jesus is on the cross. And there's two thieves, and one of them says, remember me when you get to paradise. And I want you guys to know, at the point when it seems like it's all over, at the point when it seems like no redemption can happen, one of the last things we know about this guy, and we say, Jesus, can you do something 
with me. Remember me. And he's changed. Some think it's too late. It's not too late. Some think it's over. It's not over. Some think God can't do a miracle. God can. You have to speak out. We say, God, would you remember me again? God's like, yes, I'll remember you. I never forgot you. Sometimes I I giggle at the faithfulness of God because I often forget about his faithfulness. I, I often end up, you know, just, oh, what? I got to do something. And, and what's funny is, I mean, I'm here, on, I'm here every weekend. I mean, I'm playing these things. And the songs that we sing talk about the faithfulness of God all the time. I mean, we sing songs, year after year, you have been faithful. I'm like, okay, I mean, that is so true. But year after year, I need something shorter. So we sing, you are my best thought by day or by night. Now we're talking day, night. Then last week we sing, every hour I need you. I'm like, I, that's better. Every hour, that's what I need. Today, wait for it. Not for a moment will you forsake me. I'm like, this one's for me. That's what I need, moment. But speak out. When you say these words that are in these songs, you know, it's the God's got this thing. You know, I say those words and it reminds me of the truth. I speak out and the change happens. The change happens. Next one. Dynamic faith works out. There's a process in place. Rahab spoke. The two spies are there with her in Jericho. They come up with a plan to use a scarlet cord that she's going to hang out the window. So there's a plan in place. Then all of a sudden, the children of Israel start marching around the walls. Day one, Rahab is up in her place, and she's got the cord hanging out, and she's not delivered. Day two, day three, there's a lot of marching going on. There's a lot of horn blowing, a lot of tambourine whacking. And Rahab's up there with that cord hanging out the window, and she's just waiting, waiting, waiting. And there is a danger at some point that you and I would get frustrated, and we would pull that cord up back in, put it up, and say, I guess God's not going to do anything. Sometimes we've got to work it out. Sometimes we need to stick with it. Student trips are amazing. I love them, and I see all the time students who go on these things, and I mean, we get into the Word, and we're doing, we're doing good things, and it's just, you know, it's it's just wonderful. And they're like, woohoo, Andrew, my life is going to change. And it doesn't change when we get back unless you stick with it. Next step, next step, next step. Faith only works if you work it out in you. You've got to take the next step. James 2, verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It only works if you work it out in you. I'm going to close with this. This is from another pastor, uh, Arthur Leonard Griffith. He's gone on home. He was an older pastor years ago. I want to read from one of his books. It's called God's Time and Ours. 
He's talking about temptation. Satan tempts us at the point of our physical needs. Not that we might gratify them to excess, but that we might think of nothing else and gratify them at the expense of our usefulness in the world. Satan tempts us at the point of our ambitions. Not that we might engage in positive evil, but simply accept the fact of evil. Learn to live with it. Come to terms with it. Maintain a discreet silence in the presence of it. Satan tempts us at the point of our religion. Not that we might disbelieve God, but that we might demand certainty of God. The kind of certainty that leaves nothing to faith, nothing to God himself. These are the moral struggles that have reality for people such as we are. The subtle temptation to renounce our duty in favor of what is attractive. That insidious allurement to a kind of half goodness, which is the essence of everything bad, which is more productive of suffering and hatred and war and misery in the world than all the designs of wicked and greedy men combined. It's not the evil that is plain to see that we need to watch out for. It's the one petal living. It's the kind of half goodness that leads to all kinds of decisions that scar our soul. Some of us today need to redouble our efforts. Some of us today need to make an effort. Would you close your eyes for a little bit? For some of you, your faith hasn't been very active. In fact, it's been pretty dead. And you're realizing, I do need a better relationship with him. I know who he is, but I don't have a close relationship with him. Oh, if that's you, man, today could be a great day because God wants it to change. Maybe you've had a relationship with him, but it could be better. My prayer is that you would take the next step, that you'd speak out, ask for forgiveness of sin, ask God for a closer relationship, get more involved. God, I pray for this group that they would become more committed to you that their lives would be more active in a real faith, that they would move from frustration to freedom. Whatever fear stands in their way, help them not to be intimidated by it, but they would overcome it by your power. We believe in you. You are the authority. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.